0: This podcast is brought to you by Premier, the UK's leading Christian media organisation. As we approach the end of our financial year, we want to remind you that podcasts like this are only possible due to the generosity of supporters like you. You could help reach millions of people throughout the year through shows just like this. Make your best gift today at premierchristianradio.plus.
1: A lot of people say, well, what motivates you to do this? It's because I love the church. It's because I I care about the reputation of God. The Profile with Premier Christianity
0: magazine. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Megan Cornwell. This is the show where we speak to Christians in the public eye about their life, faith and ministry. It's brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian publication. If you'd like to receive a free sample copy, go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample.
1: You're listening to The Profile.
0: Today on the show, I'm speaking with Julie Royce. Julie is a journalist based in Chicago who specialises in investigating corruption and abuse within the church. Previous projects include research into the sexual misconduct of apologist Ravi Zacharias, abuse and financial mismanagement at Willow Creek Community Church, and bullying within the Acts 29 church planting network. Before setting up the Royce Report, Julie worked as a national talk show host and a reporter. She's written news and comment for media organizations, including Fox News and several Christian publications. Julie, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me, Megan. Looking it's, forward to chatting. It's a real pleasure on your website, it says that you expose corruption in what has been termed the evangelical industrial complex.
1: What does that phrase mean to you? Well, it's become an industry. And I think that's part of the problem of why we're seeing so many scandals is because you have, you know, publishing, you have uh, broadcast, you have um megachurches you have the conferences you have these these huge celebrities who are making a lot of money for a lot of organizations and so you have this interconnected web of christian ministries and it it doesn't have to be bad right i mean there could be an interconnection that would hold each other accountable call each other out be the church to each other but unfortunately, what I've seen happen, and, and actually that, that term, evangelical industrial complex, was, uh, it was actually coined by Sky Jethani, who was a reporter for CT, now an author. Um, I, happened, I happened, he lives uh, in my area and happened to meet with him just yesterday. We had coffee together. And um, and he asked me, you know, why do you think we're seeing all of these things? Is, is there something really new? And And i said well it's become and again it's an industry right and so whenever you have money involved whenever you have power involved unfortunately we're 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 seeing that there's there's protection there's sin there's there's not calling each other to account it's instead i've got your back right i've got your back in fact uh, dave ramsey who has a huge financial um I don't know what you call it. It's not a ministry, but it's a whole financial planning business, you know, that markets towards Christians. There's an entire uh, staff meeting where he talks about, I've got your back, I've got your back. And he talks about some of these celebrities that have been in scandals, you know, and this idea of I've got your back, I don't see it biblically. I see Mm -hmm. that the wounds of a friend are faithful Mm -hmm. and that we should be calling each other to account. First Timothy 5.20, we've forgotten about that, that a that an elder who is sinning should be publicly exposed so mm-hmm. that others may stand in fear. And so um, that's what the evangelical industrial complex is to me. And I think it's unfortunately why I, I, I'm i reporting right now, why I have a job. I'm like, I, I would love to be put out of a job. I would love there to be no scandals, no corruption, uh, no abuse in the church. But unfortunately, that's the the point that we're at. And, um, mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to be faithful in this space.
0: Julie, do you think that there is something about the mega church model in particular that fosters these kinds of problems because i mean we're obviously we're here in the u k we don't have this same um obsession with mega churches I and mean, we have, we have a few that are starting to grow and that are bigger you know we have Hillsong here and um, a few like that, but but it we don't really have that same culture of mega churches. So, is this is this a particular problem that you see in these types of very large churches, and is it to do with lack of accountability? What what's the issue going on there?
1: Yeah, I, I think the mega church you've created an entire system with a huge amount of money. That is completely unregulated and completely non transparent in most cases. So, in the United States, uh, if you have a nonprofit, say you're a secular nonprofit organization, you have to file what's known as an IRS 990. So, it's a tax form. And you would have to declare uh, the, the salaries of your top three uh, executives, for example. You would have to show how your money is being spent because there's an understanding that this is donated money and the donors have a right to know how their money is being spent. Now, because in the United States, we have such a firm commitment to there being a separation between church and state, which initially was, you know, we don't want the state interfering with the matters of the church. So because of that, if you're declared a religious nonprofit, you don't have to file 990s. And I understand that initially, it was probably a good impulse for that, it was that we want to be independent we don't want the state telling us what to do i don't think anybody envisioned mega churches with 30 to 40 million dollar budgets with absolutely no reporting accountability so at most megachurches in fact i don't even know of a megachurch where the people who are giving the money know how much their pastor is making know how much the you know, associate pastors or executive pastors are making. But if it was a secular nonprofit, they would have to know that. And it's usually controlled. I think we have a governance issue where often you have these, these mega church pastors and they say they have an elder board that they're accountable to. But the elder board is often people who sometimes are employees. So their salary is dependent on the top guy being happy with them. Or they have ministries that, again, you know, you've got this complex, right? So you have ministries where the megachurch pastor can make or break your ministry, and they know that. And so it's it, it's often a lot of yes-men that aren't really holding uh, the pastor accountable. Um, and, and we saw that. Like, I, I know at Harvest Bible Chapel, which is uh, was a big megachurch in the Chicago area, had uh, five to seven, I think, at one time campuses, and about 13,000 people coming, and And even the elders, though, they had an executive elder board, and, you know, this was a a very small group that would know what was going on. But the the larger group of elders, which was the 30 or some, I spoke to one of the elders, and he's like, they gave us a pie chart of of the budget. And we had no idea what the line items were. We had no idea what James McDonald, the senior pastor, was making. But if you asked about it, then there would be retribution. So... I think that's what we're seeing in a lot of these mega churches is there's just a lack of transparency, a lack of accountability. And unfortunately, um, that just, that really doesn't work well with human beings because we have a sin nature. So uh, that I would say is, has a lot to do with, with what's going on. The mega church is an issue and it's a problem that needs to be addressed. And I think, and it's, it's interesting too, I talked to somebody recently and he said, he said that uh, he was with a, a group of megachurch pastors, and at one point he asked them, he "Like, do, do you think maybe it's the system? Do you think there's maybe something wrong with the system?" Of course, all of them have a vested interest in that system, right? And they're like, "Oh, no, 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 no! It's just a few bad apples. a few. You know, I, I'm beginning to wonder how many bad apples do we need, or or who can who can handle that amount of adulation and power, and now money as well."
0: Julie, do you think that these big scandals are doing damage to the church in America in the sense that are people walking away from the faith because of this?
1: Very much so. Um, I would say there's a growing number of what I would call church refugees, and they're Christians. They love Jesus, but they have had such negative experiences in the church and they're so... um, I would say sensitive, but it really, I think they're discerning. Like they walk in and, and they can see how the power's being stewarded and how it's being, how things are being controlled. And so they're very leery of going into a lot of churches. And we, we do uh, a restore conference, which we've done it twice, which is basically just gathering people for you know, part of it's equipping for leaders who want, you know, are saying, we want to do it differently in our church. Like, how do we really do this differently so that we're not perpetuating the same sort of problems that everybody else is. But a, a lot of it is, is just to gather people in a safe place. And I know the last one we had in May, uh, one of the tweets that somebody who attended said was, this, was a, this is the first time in six years I've experienced corporate worship where I felt safe because I'm with people that understand what I've, I've been through. I don't have to explain myself. I don't have to justify myself and I just feel safe. And somebody tweeted just this past Sunday that they're like, you know, I was in church this week and I just keep thinking back to being in that chapel with, with everybody, with, with other survivors and what that meant to me and how safe that felt. And so I think the church needs to realize, and and it's not just here. I mean, I did a story, um, that's happening in the UK with uh, Fletcher and some of the abuse that went on there. Um, and and I know there's there's people there who have been wounded by the church and they want a relationship with Jesus and they need fellowship. And I know right now I'm going to a house church. Why? Because that feels safe to me. Um, and I I do think the church is going to have to think about its structures and think about how can we accommodate people and bring them in and i i I see people even asking questions about the professional clergy like is that really the best thing like you know maybe we need to go back to more of a lay led model and i i don't think there's any perfect model and i think god can work in all models but i do think some are definitely lending themselves more to Mm -hmm. health and I think we need to start asking those questions and mm. and looking at, at, at what might be a, a better system. Do you think that for you, that would mean the the ending of the megachurch model? Yes, absolutely. And I, I used to qualify that up and down, and I, I just don't anymore. It, it needs to die. I think um, we're seeing some churches that are megachurches multi-site that are beginning to... Break up on purpose, you know. Each one of those campuses are becoming their own campus. Um, I know for our house church, for example, we just got to forty, and so we're like, it's time, it's time to split. And it's always painful to split, but it's like we want to stay small, we want to stay in each other's lives. So I think, I think the megachurch has to die, but it's bigger than that. What about the entire industry? And we need to think about um, how much we have invested in this working. And, and do we have accountability and transparency across the board? So I, I do think it, it's much bigger than just the megachurch. Um, I know for me, when, when I first saw it was when I was working at Moody Radio. There's a Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, which has you know, got a long history of you know, 125 years since it was founded, and it was founded to train people and, who are already working full-time in ministry to do ministry. Um, and it has uh, two to three dozen uh, radio stations throughout North America um, and has you know I mean some some really beautiful parts of it but I saw this in Technicolor when I was there you know I remember um, writing uh, a commentary which I would I would do commentaries all the time and I had a senior executive come into my office and say, you're not going to, we're not going to broadcast this commentary you did. And I'm like, why is, is there something wrong with it? Did I, was I unfair? Was I untruthful? You know, I mean, these, as a journalist, these are the questions I ask. And he said, no, no, because the person that I was writing about is our friend and we don't report on our friends. And I'm like, Really? I can, I can report on Joel Osteen because he's like outside our tribe, right? But I can't report on our friends. We, we, we can't do that.
0: Almost as if you were being a traitor
1: by doing that. Well, a traitor and um, this particular person happened to have a publishing contract with Moody Publishers. So, you know, he's making money for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk a, a bit about some of your investigations julie so Mm -hmm. i think here in the uk the ravi zacharias scandal was was really big he's a very well known name here can you tell me a bit about how that story came about and and where where you fitted into that
1: sure so the the first that we began to know that there was some trouble was in 2017 and there was this whole supposed sexting scandal um, and also credentials scandal so it became well known that he was inflating his credentials and and the primary person that was reporting on it happened to be an atheist lawyer Steve Boffman and because of that nobody was listening to him in the Christian community and this sexting scandal and I, I hate to call it that because now we know it's it was a it was sexual abuse by Ravi Zacharias he groomed a, a very vulnerable woman um, to participate in something that was, you know, just completely and utterly clergy sexual abuse. I mean, it was just awful. Um, but at the time, it was called a sexting scandal. And when it came out, Ravi, uh, after getting Lori Ann Thompson, who was the victim in this case, after getting her to sign a nondisclosure agreement, he publicly breaks the non-disclosure agreement with Christianity Today and puts out this whole statement, painting her as an extortionist who had lured him into this relationship because she was trying to extort money from him. I mean, it was just a wicked narrative. So in 2017, I remember I remember reading the article in CT and I believed Robbie, right? I mean, that's the way it was portrayed. And, and he was the one that we knew and credible and all that. And I didn't know about the backstory. Well, um, it was sometime in, I believe 2019 or maybe, yeah, it was 2019, I think. Steve Boffman saw what I was doing and what I was reporting, and he sent me a copy of his book. So he published a book on all this. And I remember at the time I got it and I was so busy, I gave it to my husband. I said, can you just read? Because he loves to read. And (laughs) I'm like, can you just summarize it for me? Yeah, pretty much. You know, give me the cliff notes. And he read it and he said, Julie, you need to read this book. And I realized that there were things, even even just in in what had been reported up until that point, I I went back and I looked at the lawsuit because uh, Ravi had filed this lawsuit against uh, Ann Thompson. And when I went back and looked at it, one of the things that didn't make sense, for example, is he had a BlackBerry and he had this blackberry messenger and if you understand blackberry messenger you know that you need a code that's the only way you can get into blackberry messenger so he he said that he had blocked her but she kept getting in well you don't get in without a code so the only way she could get in is if he gave her a code so i mean there were there were multiple things like that that they were just glaring that i looked at that and then there were the suicide emails um and these were ones where ravi basically said to Ann Thompson, if you go public, I'm going to kill myself. And, um, I, you know, I read those and I'm like, okay, an innocent man doesn't write those. But this stayed again, even though a lot of this had been published, I think the Christian public didn't want to hear it. They just didn't want to hear it, didn't want to believe it. And so they, they didn't. And it wasn't until I was able to hear, um, hear more about Lori's story. And, and then I, I received a statement that she had written back before the NDA was signed. I received that and I got just sort of a, a download of a ton of information of the emails, of the phone records showing that Ravi had initiated a bunch of these calls. Um, I, I, I received uh, gift receipts of gifts he had sent her it it just became very clear. But I remember when I published, it was about two to four weeks before Christianity Today published their story on the abuse of the, the women in the spas. And, and, and here again, Ravi Zacharias owned massage parlor <laughs> or, or massage spas. I mean, who knew this? I mean, it was like an open secret, right? I mean, this is crazy. Um, but it, again, I published about two to four weeks before Christianity Today published, and I was even though I had all the receipts, um, I did a three-part series with all the information. Uh, the The backlash was virulent. It was it was really unbelievable. People didn't want to hear the truth, and we shoot the messenger. And it really wasn't until Christianity Today published, and then on the heels of that. World Magazine published and and affirmed both my story that I had done with Lorraine Thompson, showing that she was actually the victim, not Ravi, and then CT stories on on this, the spa abuse. It really wasn't until both of those were confirmed by World Magazine that you really saw the tide starting to turn, and and then of course uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, RZIM, did their own independent investigation, which. Now we know there was a huge fight behind the scenes for the, the board to release that investigation. And there was so much external pressure and internal pressure that they finally did. Um, but Ravi Zacharias is a perfect, RZIM is a perfect case study in, you know, again, a 30 to $40 million ministry. The board, who was the chairman of the board? Ravi Zacharias. Who was the vice chairman? Margie Zacharias, his wife, who was a director, Sarah Davis, who was his daughter, who also served as the CEO of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. There's no accountability there. And then the rest of the the rest of the the board members were secret. In 2015, the RZIM filed with the IRS uh, to become a religious. Actually, it was an association of churches, is what they got they got designated as and then they didn't have to file their 990s their board was secret everything they did was secret and th- that's just appalling it really is appalling and and the fact that it's legal um the, and this is why I do what I do because it's not going to change until until people are educated and and we demand as the donors we demand accountability from the organizations we give to.
0: You mentioned the original article that, that CT ran, you know, with, with Raphael Zacharias sort of um, declaring his innocence. What, what do you think of the takeaways, Julie, for the Christian media and for Christians in general from this this scandal? Uh,
1: There's a lot of talk afterwards, and I think it, it's important to to think about this term betrayal-blindness. And it is basically our, our predisposition to excuse the negative facts and believe almost to a ridiculous point, the, the person that we've kind of put on a pedestal. And, and I think that's what happened within RZIM. I think there's a lot of people that now are going, oh my word, there were so many red flags. How did I miss all those red flags, right? But I think for the media as well, although I I will say, I think Christian media, there's been a shift and it's been recent, but for a very long time, Christian media did nothing but PR for uh, a lot of these celebrity preachers. And again, Christian media, you're reliant on those people talking to you, giving you interviews on, you know... When they publish the book we want to interview them about the book uh we we want to access to the conference we want to behind the scenes so you you know you, you try to nurture your sources right so it's challenging for the christian media to truly be independent but i think what we're seeing actually in the united states uh to me it's it's really kind of wild what's recently happened because you have world magazine that historically has been the one Christian news outlet that would actually do investigation on itself, right? Reporting on our own tribe, um, and and they it, it was World Magazine when I was reporting on James McDonald and Harvest Bible Chapel. When I was investigating them, I was actually sued by Harvest and James McDonald before I published anything, and it was really an attempt at what we would call prior restraint, which is unconstitutional. You can't. You you can't restrain reporters from reporting information. Um, So it came with like this temporary restraining order, which was immediately tossed by the judge because it's unconstitutional. Um, But then he he did sue me for for um, supposedly defaming him, which, again, I hadn't even published. But it was World Magazine that was willing to stick with me through that, because it was funny because at the same time I was working with Chicago Tribune, doing a story that was, you know, a, about Harvest as well. It was a little bit ancillary, but I was working with them. They dropped me like a hot potato, which you would think a big secular organization would the be- The resources behind them. Mm. Oh my goodness. And and the other thing is, you would think there'd be this commitment to the First Amendment, which in the United States, you know, this, this gives the freedom of the press, right? I mean, and as a journalistic outfit, you would think, yeah, we'll stand by our reporters. <laughs> no, they cut me right away. And again, I didn't have a long history with them. But World Magazine, Marvin Olasky was, you know, the editor-in-chief at the time. And he, he was very principled. He, he said, we will never pull a reporter off of a story because of the ne- negative, you know, even a lawsuit um, by the target of the investigation. And so he stuck with, with me. And, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today had it not been for Marvin and the principled stance of World Magazine. Christianity Today, at the same time, published a an op ed by James McDonald on why it's biblical, sometimes biblical, to sue other believers. So it was like they gave him I I mean, it, it was shocking to me at the time that he's a plaintiff in a lawsuit against me. They're publishing basically allowing him a platform to argue why it's okay to sue me, which there was no basis for suing me. Um, and then after I published my story in World Magazine, finally this you know, large expose on, on Harvest and, and um, James McDonald, CT published the entire press release in full that came out from Harvest. And basically the headline was something like Harvest Disputes World Magazine article. <laughs> so it was like the whole other side. So, so CT at that point, Christianity Today today was, was providing cover I, I feel for the celebrity preachers and the people with platforms. And now, interestingly, World has had a huge shift. Um, we've seen the opinions a section of World Magazine grow. Albert Moeller you know, came in and is now the opinions editor. And this wall that under Marvin Alasky was you know impenetrable between advertising and editorial has now been eroded and so we don't you know marvin olasky all but said uh in and well he pretty much did say in in a commentary that he wrote uh, very recently that there's the integrity of the organization is just mm-hmm. gone be, because because this wall is not being maintained there's conflicts mm-hmm. of interest there's a reason to protect And so World Magazine, I think, and you've seen some of their best reporters. Now we're going to Christianity Today. Christianity Today, we've seen had a radical change in that, you know, Tim Dalrymple came in as CEO, uh, Mark Galley, who had been the editor-in-chief, moving out, and Russell Moore now is the editor-in-chief there. But them CT actually did an investigation on itself because of sexual harassment Mm -hmm. allegations against Mark Galley so so now you're seeing ct do more of these investigations and which is is astonishing to me to to see that that shift um but i do Mm -hmm. think i think i mean as a journalist i'm glad to see CT moving into that space, I'm sad to see what what world has done
0: Julie, in terms of investigating the wrongdoings of pastors and churches, I would just wonder whether you become a bit little bit cynical about the the church yourself you know how how has this impacted your own faith it, your, how has your work impacted
1: your own faith? Um, I'm not cynical and I hope I never become it. I love the church. I I even texted somebody yesterday. I was listening to this one song. Um, It's such a beautiful song. Um, It's called Gyra, and I tried to ignore the fact that it, you know, it's done by Elevation Music and Maverick City, (laughs) which, you know, it's 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 kind of ruined most CCM for me because I know too much about the business and the industry and and the churches associated with a lot of these big labels. But the song just, I mean, it was just so beautiful. It's so ministered to me. And I, I just, I texted a friend and I'm, I'm like, I'm fighting to preserve the beauty that that I know is in the church and the memories that I have of that and the experiences that I've had. And I've, I've I, I mean, my life has been marked. I remember at one point when I was in my 20s, somebody said to me, um, you, you've kind of, your life revolves around the church and where you feel God called you to, you know, and, and we weren't in, you know, formal ministry at that point, but we would just go to where God, you know, to go to so, support the church and be a part of the ministry. And I love the church. A lot of people say, well, what, what motivates you to do this? It's because I love the church. It's because I, I care about the reputation of God. And I remember when I was um, thinking about reporting a big story and, and, you know, you'll hear all the time, you know, why would you air the dirty laundry? And and I was studying the whole Babylonian exile. And it it occurred to me that that God didn't seem to care much about our reputation. He cares about his reputation. He cares that the people who are called by his name are living according to his principles and to see him magnified and to see his church become what it should be. Um, And if I ever lose that, then I'll stop because I, I shouldn't be doing it. Um, this is the reason to do this work, and this is this is what I feel I've been I've been called to, and why. You've been listening to the Profile
0: in association with Premier Christianity Magazine.